0: Uh, we are in the Beatitudes, and so uh, I'm gonna read our passage, it's Matthew 5, verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. So I invite you to stand up and read along with me. If you have one of the black few Bibles in front of you, um, it's on page 809. This is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, again, we are grateful to be able to gather as your people to hear from you through your word, through Kevin and we pray, Even now, God, you can speak to, you, to us. Give us ears to hear from you. Give us eyes to see the truth in your word. Help us to To know what it looks like for this to be true in our lives. Love you. We pray in Jesus'
1: name. If you're um, joining us for one of the first few times, um, there's a connecting card right in front of you. We'd love it if you'd fill that out and then we could um, have the opportunity to follow up and help you get plugged into the life of our church. Um, one thing we're passionate about here in Caris is planning churches, and we have a team of three different couples that we've sent to Morgan to North Carolina and we have one of those couples here today, the we stand up, let us say hello. Those guys, but it's good to have them with us today. I'm excited to keep plugging through the, the attitudes this morning. Um, Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors will, will surely go down as one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. Um, recently, ESPN.com shared a photo of Curry holding his three year old son, Cannon, with this quote from the all star, Steph. He said, This he's got a hoop on his wall. And he's been testing his range quite a bit, and I try to give him some pointers on how to shoot, but then he won't listen. And he'll tell me, no, this is how I'm doing it. <laughs> Pretty cute, yeah? But I would argue that Cannon Curry sounds quite a bit like us most of the time. Last week, Aaron kicked off this look at the attitudes with the first, found in verse 3 of chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he did a great job. But... Too much of the time, I'd argue, we're like stubborn little kids where we say, we're not poor, we don't need help, we're strong, we're good, we got this. But, as he said, children of the kingdom don't think that way, do they? We know we're fallen, we know we're frail, we know we're spiritually bankrupt, that we can do nothing on our own, we're in desperate need of God and His grace. We understand that if we're followers of Christ, that we're poor. But today we're going to see that we even go beyond that realization. We're going to see how this next beatitude challenges us, especially today, as well as what would change if we really grasped it. But before that, I want us to think a little bit more about how these opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount are supposed to work for us. Now, after my first sermon in this series, one of my kids asked me about this word I kept repeating, one they didn't know that left them kind of confused, and it was this one, beatitude. What is that? What does it mean? Well, it refers to each of these eight pronouncements that Jesus makes here, and they're pronouncements about what people are truly blessed. And that's where we get that term from the Latin word for blessed. But blessed is a word that today is... Overused and under understood, wouldn't you say? Author Christine Gordon reminds us in a TGC article that hashtag blessed may not mean what you think. It may not look like what we see on Instagram. She says this. She says, Imagine a mom who lost her job, who's worried about paying her mortgage, and she actually shares that on social media. And she says, Would she use the hashtag not blessed? Or what about a mother posting online about her child who lives with a myriad of birth-related problems? Should she end that post with hashtag cursed? Gordon, pointing to Luke's similar list of those who are blessed, says this. As we read Jesus' description, we notice the blessing he describes isn't shallow, passing, or temporary. It's a deep, enduring sense of satisfaction. This isn't the good feeling that warms us for a moment and then fades. This is a rooted, deep in your gut joy that doesn't shift with circumstances. So Jesus is talking about a blessing that blows all the things we see on social media today. My wife's taught me what OTTD means. You know, outfit of the day. Apparently, it blows those away. The best beach pics, the great, the greatest foodie pic that you could post. What Jesus here is better, but also what Jesus describes here, as we read this, it may not even sound like a blessing at all. Right? Today, those who are blessed, those who Aaron said last week are experiencing the fullness of his favor, favor, will actually shed a lot of tears. That's what this says. But I'm jumping ahead. For each of these, we see this formula, don't we? You see the qualities of those who are blessed as well as the promises for those who are blessed. You see, qualities and promises. This week, we see that the blessed mourn, and they'll be comforted. But when we get all the way to the end, we see even that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are among the blessed. Why? Because they'll receive a kingdom. So catch this. There's someone hungry and cold in a Russian prison right now And he or she may be the most blessed person on the face of the earth. Wow. I also want us to talk about the function of these words. Two things, I would argue. They first describe the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Describe. They paint a picture, a beautiful picture of what followers of Christ look like. Not what super holy, all pro-Christians look like. But what should describe those who are blessed, disciples and they're not meant to be a checklist this is not one of those things where you hit all the boxes you earn your way to heaven or you give yourself some reason to be proud these are what the holy spirit does in those who are his these words second drive us to the king of heaven to the one who perfectly exhibits all of these characteristics to the one who rescues us completely As we struggle to exhibit these, and then works them in us. These beatitudes actually drive us to the King for the first time throughout our lives. So these are again the two main functions of these verses. Describe the citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven to drive us to the King of Heaven. So let's just humbly sit before these words for the next several weeks and fast and pray together that God would work them powerfully among us. I want to turn now to how this beatitude, Matthew 5 verse 4, challenges us. So Christians, as we said last week, they look up at their father and they say, I have no hope of ever making a shot. I need so much help. I need you to lift me up to the rim, father. That's what we learned in verse 3. But as that truth begins to work its way from our heads down to our hearts, it begins to make our, our stomachs churn. Ray Orland has written this really fantastic book, The Death of Porn, that I just can't recommend highly enough. And he quotes a Ugandan pastor named Festo Kim and Jerry, who speaks of a man who grasped just how poor he really was. He writes, I could tell you a case of a man back home, 45 years old, a pagan, illiterate, who knew nothing about Christ, Then he was brought by grace through the preaching of the Christians into the presence of Jesus and him crucified. And that man was so changed that within a month, when impure thoughts came into his heart, he literally went outside from the media and vomited. What a standard. What a sensitivity. A man steeped in paganism with no Bible training, no background, and now in the light of Calvary, In that smashing, invading love, this man is taken, recreated, renewed. His conscience is so clean that when impure thoughts came, he even went and physically vomited. A sensitivity had been created. The Holy Spirit had renewed his personality. Is this your case? So there's a progression that we see here in these Beatitudes. So children of the kingdom, verse 3 says, they comprehend their deep poverty, And then as verse 4 shows us, it leads them to feel a certain way. And I want you to hear that healthy people get sick. Or as it's put here, they get sad. They do. That's the meaning of the word here in in verse 4 of Matthew 5. But it's stronger than that. The blessed grieve. The blessed mourn is what it says. But don't you think that's a feeling that today we try to avoid at all costs? We distract ourselves from our suffering, what's going on in here, as well as what's out the window. We numb ourselves rather than face ourselves, our sin that we see in the mirror, and to all the injustice that's around us. Rather than own our wrongdoing, we go right at calling out wrongdoers. You know, there's a place for that. We're going to get to this later, Matthew. But Jesus is going to say... That we've got to get the log out of our eye first, before we judge our neighbor, before we correct our brother. And getting that log out of the eye hurts a lot. We don't like to mourn these days in America over sin, over suffering, and where it all leads to death. We don't like to think about it or talk about it. We like closed caskets. We just throw around euphemisms about people going to a better place. We're just not good at mourning. But the last few years have made that kind of hard. As we've seen injustice hit the news ticker seemingly every day, as COVID has rocked the world hard. In 2020, the Harvard Business Review posted an article entitled, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. That discomfort you're feeling is grief. It interviewed grief expert David Kessler. And he tries to help the reader comprehend what it is that she's experiencing. But the title is just so striking. Because we're not used to that feeling, are we? Because we push it away, we avoid it with everything in us. Grief, sadness, mourning. It's become more and more foreign to us. But Jesus is here. It's a characteristic of someone who's healthy, of someone who's blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. But before I get to that, here's where we can't take this. Christians aren't meant to walk around with long faces all the time, acting like we're Eeyore from Woody the Pooh. No. We have the rest of the verse, right? But we also can't bounce around all the time like we're Tigger either in this fallen world because there's too much sadness. There's truly something wrong... If we don't mourn, what kind of mourning are we talking about? First, sins inside of us. The sins in our lives as individuals. Those that thought, word, and deed. The things we do, the things we don't do. The things we feel. If we're going to learn anything in the Sermon on the Mount, it's that the real problem is in the heart. That's where sin comes from. If we're disciples of Christ, we mourn over our sin. We don't minimize it, justify it, shift it, deny it. We own it. We grieve it. The Holy Spirit grieves over our sins. Ephesians 4.30 tells us. And it follows, if we don't grieve, He grieves all the more, right? Christians fall on their knees like Isaiah. Before God's holiness, and cry out, Woe is me. We call out with Paul, What a wretched man am I. We don't laugh off our sins. We weep over them. Second sins among us. Here in the church. Among the people of God. In this covenant family. And among all those who call Jesus king. We have to grieve or something is tragically wrong. That's what Paul feels when he's trying to shake the Corinthians into reality in 1 Corinthians 5. So in that situation, sexual immorality is running rampant in their church. And they're not concerned. They just shrug. And he cries out, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Whether we're talking about lust or gossip or disunity or blasphemy, in our midst, it should make us grieve. Third, sins around us. Out there, out in the world, how does Paul view lost people? Out there hurting themselves and others. It makes him mad at times, yeah. But it also makes him sad. Look what he says and models to the Philippians and us. He speaks of false teachers and he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Oh, grief. So whether we're watching the evening news or we're scanning through Instagram or we're listening in at the water cooler or we're chatting at the mailbox with the neighbor, we're gonna come face to face again and again with sin and our reaction must not be to rage but to grieve. Church, too much over the past few years we've just given free reign to our sin and we've not grieved our own. And then we've looked at our neighbor's sins with glee instead of with sorrow. And that does not look good on a disciple of Jesus. It's not a good OTTD. We are to mourn over sin. But that's often where the talk in this beatitude stops. But we have to get to where all sin leads to suffering. So again, back at the beginning in the garden... Sin enters the world, and although we still see God's good creation everywhere we turn, sin has affected all of it. It's marred what he's made. We can look around and say, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And as we look at it all, it should make us mourn. That includes death. Of course, that Christians die and go to be with Christ, we should take comfort in that. But the pain is real. It hurts. There's a reason why we're black. It reflects the mood. Death isn't natural, no matter what any funeral director tries to get you to think. We grieve over it. We also grieve over all suffering, suffering that you're going through as an individual. It's okay to grieve. My wife's cancer that we never saw coming. Your divorce that you tried hard to prevent. It grieves Jesus. It should grieve you. It's okay to cry. It's fitting to cry. Suffering that's in our body, that's in our church. We're to weep with those who weep. That's what Romans talks about. So a miscarriage, a car accident, bouts of mental illness, domestic violence, it should make us mourn. Suffering that's out in the world. There was no injustice back in the garden at all. There won't be any at all in the new world that's to come. There's going to be no more war like what's going on in Ukraine. The other ways we make other human beings hurt, we should grieve that. But we're not just talking about what the theologians call moral evil. What we fallen people do to one another, but also all of that just flows out of living in a fallen world, natural evil, destruction, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, floods. It should all make us grieve. We're in the season of Lent, um, the time that leads up to Easter, where we're told by the church calendar to sing the blues, where we reflect on our sins and the suffering that's all around us. And we grieve in preparation for the hope of Easter. This is what the children of the kingdom do. They grieve. It should feel natural to us. There's all this talk today about emotional intelligence and emotional health. But we still don't seem to get this. Sin and suffering should result in sorrow or something that's really, really messed up. Musician and author Michael Carr reflected some time back on the two English homophones. So homophones are words that sound alike, but they have different spellings and different meanings. Morning, night, morning, and the kind of morning that we've been talking about here with the U. And he, he wrote this. Perhaps what links the two words together is the fact that they both represent moments when we wake up. Clearly, morning is the time when we open our eyes to the hope of a new day. But in another sense, a deeper sense, a time of mourning can also be an occasion when we come to our senses and with new, tear cleansed eyes see the world as we have never seen it before. So as Christians, we're we're made new. We see the world with new eyes. And hear me, that means that those eyes should often be filled with tears. I love the way Don Carson puts it. The Christian is to be the truest realist. He reasons that death is there and must be faced. God is there and will be known by all as Savior or Judge. Sin is there and it is unspeakably ugly, and black, in the light of God's purity. Eternity is there and every living human being is rushing toward it. God's revelation is there and the alternatives it presents will come to pass. Life or death, pardon or condemnation, heaven or hell. These are realities which will not go away. The man who lives in the light of them and rightly assesses himself in his world in the light of them cannot but mourn. He mourns for the sins and blasphemies of his nation. He mourns for the erosion of the very concept of truth. He mourns over the greed, the cynicism, the lack of integrity. He mourns that there are so few mourners. But because we're Christians, we don't stop there, right? Because there's the rest of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we have this hope, church, right of Psalm 35. Weeping, or mourning, may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I want to give another caveat before I move on. The fact that there's joy, that there's comfort to be found, doesn't mean that we take on the other kind of popular Christian persona, where we throw on a cheesy grin We sing only happy, clappy songs and just act like there's no problems around us. Maybe that's been your presentation of Christianity. No. If you've heard anything I've said, that should be obvious. That Christians can't play the fiddle while the city is burning. But we do have this fire inside of us. We have this living hope, don't we? A hope that will be complicated. In both sin and suffering. We have this hope of salvation for sin, comfort, forgiveness, for you, for me. We take our sins to Jesus, and we experience forgiveness that's only found in Him. Where His perfect life is given to us, and we are pronounced righteous in His sight. His sacrificial death is given to us as well, and we can be forgiven of sins past, present, and future. Where we run to Jesus like the prodigal son away from the pigs, away from the slime, into our Father's arms, and there we experience His welcome. We experience His comfort. We also experience comfort in our suffering. Do we not? In our pain. We have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, living inside us. The presence of Jesus who will never forsake us. Not just in our sin, but in the effects of living in this fallen world. As we battle illness, addiction, abandonment, depression, whatever we go through, comfort is promised to us. Not though to those who dull or deny their pain, but to those who face it. And they will see his face right there in it with them, and that gives us real deep hope. It makes us also look around among the people of God, and we see people who need his embrace in their suffering and sin, and we want to share it with them. As Paul talks about in Second Corinthians 1, this comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, we give that to others. We want to tell them about it, we want to show it to them, our brothers and sisters, and we seek to be Jesus' hands and feet to them. And we're also compelled as we look out in our world to take the healing, comforting message of Jesus out there as well we say mourning doesn't have to last forever. There's rejoicing to be found. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come. We even run to that, and we seek to share that. We point to it. We carry that rest to those around us. So in our sin, in our suffering, we say, run into his arms. There's comfort there. Come see what we found. Now, yeah. This is a rest that lies in the future So it says They shall be comforted Future tense One day sin will be no more All suffering will cease We'll be in a new heavens and a new earth If we're believers There will be perfect peace and justice As, as Revelation 7 17 says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes As chapter 21 of that book goes on Death shall be no more Neither should there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's in our future. If we're his, we can look forward to full, forever comfort. But I want you to hear this, too. That shall be in verse 4. It's not just communicating that this is in the future, it's communicating that this is certain, that we can bank on it. If we're a mourner, we will have his embrace. And that's talking about, yes, down the road, but it's also talking about here and now. Because as we've been saying, the kingdom will come, but the kingdom is here, right? And those who trust the king get to experience his embrace here and now. Not just in the not yet, but in the already, in our sin and suffering, we get to feel his comfort today. I don't know about you. But this has felt, to me, like one of the most difficult periods of my life. And i felt his comfort. I know many of you would say that as well. I've told people recently, the last couple of years, really the last couple of months have been brutal. But I'm still, for the most part, walking around with joy. And I don't know how to explain it, other than that, his comforting presence has been real and near to me. And this is what, friends, Our king provides. This is what he promised. But we don't get to that morning where joy is found before the morning over our sin and suffering. I love the way Paul Miller puts it. The very thing that we are afraid of, our brokenness, is the door to our father's heart. Something similar, Jamar Tisby says, puts it well, it feels counterintuitive, But the more acquainted we become with our brokenness and woundedness, the more we open up the possibility of wholeness and healing. Brokenness, wholeness, woundedness, healing. Healthy people, Christian people experience both of those things. We do. We find ourselves living in this tension, a tension that paradoxically leaves us with rest. Every week in the Columbia Daily Tribune, there's this page written by the science director of Columbia Public Schools. It's geared toward kids, but I always read it because it's awesome. Um, This week he talked about throwing up, since I know you want to talk about that more, right? But he talks about why our bodies do that. So his name's Mike Stoklowski. I think it's, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. But he explains that it's our bodies doing us a favor. They're helping us get rid of something that our body feels is harmful to us. So he just makes this argument that healthy body is vomit. And that thing that we all hate to do so much actually protects us. It's God's gift to us. And then he says, and I thought this was really interesting, he says, only rodents, he says, lack the ability to throw up. And he says, that's why rat poisons are so effective. But
0: If
1: sin makes us sick, if it makes us weep, it means we're not dead, and we're not heading that way. It means we're alive. It means we're healthy. It means we can feel. And then, yeah, we're not rats, right? That's a good thing. Amen. <laughs> to, to cry, <laughs> to cry, and not just smile all the time. But the kindness of Jesus fills us up. It does, and gives us joy. But sometimes I fear, in America, that we don't live in that kitchen much at all. We're somehow caught in between of those things. That's why, maybe you didn't realize this, but that's why we decided to preach a psalm once a month in cards. Because in God's songbook, book, which is really what it is, you get, if you haven't noticed, you get psalms of praise, where we express joy in the Lord. And then you also have psalms of lament, where we express sorrow over sin and suffering, and we just ask God, help us trust that. That psalm that we read earlier was a good example of that. And I think in America we tend to struggle with both types of those songs. I don't know if you realize this, but one thing that we can learn from the the historic African-American church is the ability to sing both of those things and to sing them deeply from the heart. So the black church has a long history of spirituals calling for freedom from suffering. That's where we ended up getting the blues from. Which I think are awesome. But they also give us this treasure trove of jubilant gospel songs of praise. Now hear me, it's in the place of ease, of privilege, of earthly comfort. Where we can't comprehend lament. But we also, because we're so in love with the world. That we also can't fully experience his joy. God wants to feel again that tension. That both of those things that ultimately lead to rest. I like the way Henry Nowen once put it. He said, we tend to stay away from mourning and dancing. Too afraid to cry, too shy to dance. We become narrow-minded complainers, avoiding pain and also true human joy. While we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. Let us mourn and let us dance. As I said earlier, COVID has been an equalizer. It's brought suffering to nearly every door. It's pulled sin out of each of our hearts. It's hit us with grief, again, an emotion that we've avoided. And we're kind of caught off guard, I think, by at times. But with it, it's brought this opportunity to run to our Father and experience His comfort. David Gibson writes, Death invites you to be a person of death. Only someone who knows how to weep will really know what it means to laugh. So I say, Carlos, let's embrace both. And as we do find Jesus there. I want to end by going back to what I said was the function of these beatitudes. And apply it specifically to this birth. Again, it describes citizens of the kingdom. It drives us to the king. It describes citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So it paints a picture of this... Countercultural community That Jesus is calling to himself If these words are true In verse 4 What should we look like I want to give you four things here really quick We should be characterized by humility First of all Humility We know we're poor And that makes us sad We have no need to defend ourselves We're even worse Than they think We have nothing to prove we know we're in over our heads. We know that's true. Second, we should be known for compassion. We need God's grace. Desperately, so we're gracious with others. We know our hurts, so we want to relieve the hurts of others as well. Third, we should be known for justice, right? If we know that comfort is coming and it's broken in today, we should be dispensers of that healing and dispensers. Defenders of the hurting. We want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray. Fourth, we should be characterized by hope. We know this world is broken, but a new one is to come. Therefore, we will not despair, and we can't be fully broken ourselves. We point others to his kingdom, and then we rest in his arms. We have been blessed so much by him. with this opportunity to bless those around us. Hope. I love this quote from the philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff. He says, Who then are the mourners? Who then are the mourners? Those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break into tears when confronted with its absence. The mourners are aching visionaries. That's good. This verse also drives us to the King of heaven, Jesus' Christ. Did you know that? Well, I think most of you probably do, because what's the Bible's shortest verse? Jesus wept, right? When did Jesus weep? We often don't talk about that. Well, when his friend Lazarus died, right? And think about this. Jesus knew that he was about ready to raise him from the dead. So Jesus isn't crying without hope there. He's crying because that isn't the way things are supposed to be when else do we see Jesus grieve well we're going to see it at the end of Matthew when he looks over Jerusalem and he laments her sin Luke says that he weeps Jesus there is soon to die to bring forgiveness but he still grieves he grieves that sin still remains he grieves that so many would reject his salvation Jesus weeps for those who die and for the sin that brings it about. Jesus is the man of sorrows, who's acquainted with grief, Isaiah says. He's the one who knows our pain. He does. He knows it deeply. And he's also provided a way out of it through his rescue. And he brings us through it to comfort to comfort well we can't finish this this message without looking at the passage that christ's words point back to isaiah 61 the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified now elsewhere in luke jesus walks into the synagogue he pulls out a scroll he reads this and he says hey what I'm reading right here, this is fulfilled right here, right now, in my coming. Let's let this beatitude drive us to our King, to the one who knows what it means to mourn, and who offers us deep and lasting comfort in it. Here's the main thing I want you to hear today how I kind of summarize this. Those heartbroken over suffering and sin experience the fullness of His favor because they have hope and promise. Of the consoling embrace of God. That's what I argue Matthew 5 4 says. Lent is here. Lamenting is healthy. But it gives way to rejoicing. Easter is coming, right? Those who mourn will be comforted. Let's pray, Cars. Father, um, I love that word, that, that term, aching visionaries. We have this this vision this hope of the comfort that's to come and has come and we just ache for it we ache to receive it ourselves we're not ashamed to say that we ache for our neighbors and friends um those in sickness and pain and and sin and struggle we we want them to experience the lord uh, work that kind of heart in us i pray Uh, we're we're, um, not satisfied with a a shallow way to walk around in the world, um, but we're also um, just so cognizant of the joy that we have in you, Lord. As we walk through these beatitudes and fast and pray, work them in us and do this in us. I pray, Lord, um, this week, um, just more and more, make us aching visionaries. I pray, help us to mourn and to experience your comfort. and pray, in Jesus. Name.